Welcome back to another episode of Hit Em Up! Episode 11. In this episode, we have three segments. Segment 1, a recap of PS5 Series 40 and an update on PS4 Series 41. Segment 2, player interview. With the player's edition. We always got it for you. Segment 3, TGA Talks. No Pro-Am Talks this, this episode. I'm going to allow some people, man. You know what I mean? Let's get it. Segment 1, Series 40, PS5 Recap. Let me start with Series 41 first, PS4. The season's back on hold as Pro-Am still broken. So let's get into the nitty-gritty now. Series 40, PS5, the recap. Let's go over the semifinals and the finals first. In the final four, we had number one, Abnormal vs. Five, Liquid Outbreak. My prediction had Abnormal winning 2-1. Abnormal's on to the finals. That was a tough series, but they got through it. Number two, Winner Die Trying vs. number three, Epidemic. Epidemics up, won that series 2-1 on to the finals. They beat them up two games and lost one game, so I guess it was a kind of a tight series. On to the finals now. After the press conference between Abnormal number one and number three epidemic, there was a lot of shit talking going on. Everybody thought they were sweeping it, but Abnormal came out on top with a 2 nothing series sweep. And you're back-to-back champs, Abnormal. As I said in the last podcast, that's who I predicted. Abnormal to take home the championship. It's a bunch of Hall of Famers, man. They just produce in TGL leagues. Straight winners. That's it. They just win. Let's go over some of the league. Let's go over some of the league winners that won some of the awards in the league this series. League MVP as usual. Despised X abnormal. Dominant out on the court. Great floor general. Led his team all the way to the best regular season record and to the finals. A very dominant season. There wasn't too many teams that could compete with them. Despised X. Hit them all! That's a HOF nigga. Scoring chap. A Snapchat 380. Try hard. He was a walking bucket. I can't lie to you guys. I seen numerous games where he had 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. His team didn't have the best performance. They made it to the quarterfinals, but he definitely was getting buckets all season long. Hit them all! A Snapchat 380. Defensive player this season went to amazing 24x epidemic. He put up solid defensive numbers just to just to slip it away from can't stop sin. But that's my defensive player this season. But as a group, the the vote was with amazing 24x. So I have to give it to him. great season on the defensive end. Led his team to the finals and played the pick and roll properly. Six man of the year, Gorilla Chico, the plague. I'm not gonna lie to you guys, man. He was he was he was the best six man by far. Always producing, coming off of the bench, always ready, to, always ready to get in there and, and and just hoop. Put up great numbers as a center, scoring and rebounds, solid defensively too. To give a hit him up to Gorilla Chico, man. Great season. You're a regular in TGL League, so I always see you seeing you do you get you're getting better and better every time I see you, man. Keep working. <clears throat> I have to give a next 
hit him up. I had to make that one a little bit longer because I have to shout out the 15 players that made the first, second, and third team. All 15 of you niggas had a great season. Putting up, stay consistent, stood out. You guys were the ones that the, the TGA admin team really, really, really picked. I have to give a the hit em up goes also to the 10 players who made first and second team all defensive. Those 10 players stood out on the defensive and they didn't do too much offensively, but defensively, they were the guys. I have to give a, the hit em up was that long again because I have to give a huge shout out to the five niggas that made it to the all six man team. Making it on the six-man team to me is an accomplishment because that means you can come off the bench and perform. You're always ready. You're on the verge of being a starter. Maybe if you're on the next team, you're definitely a starter. But keep working, man, and staying ready. Also, I have to give a huge hit em up. <coughs> wow, that's how long the hit em up is after coughing shit. That's a smoker's cough right there. Holy fuck. Sorry, my niggas. But... I have to also give a huge hit em up to all the players that made it on the top top rankings list after Series 40, the PG, Hash, Corner, and Center. If you made that list, you were a top player in the season. You guys really stood out too. You, just close, you guys are close to making the All-Star team, but keep hooping, man. You're on the verge. You're on a good path right now. After Series 40, <clears throat> heading into Series 42, look out for the flyer also. Heading into Series 42, the top 10 teams in Canada are number one, abnormal. Back-to-back, -back, two months in a row, holding the number one side on the PS5 side. That's an accomplishment. Number two, liquid outbreak. Number three, epidemic. Number four, adapt. Number five, win or die trying. Number six, OGS. Number seven, Suso the 13th. Number eight, big business. Number nine, shots fired. Number 10, leave no doubt. Make sure your team stays in the list, man. Let's go. Like, if your team makes it in the top 10 consistently, you know what I mean? There's going to be a tournament coming up shortly. Champions are champions. The last season's champion was from the ashes. Let's see who's going to be the next champions of champions, but... As I said again, the PS4 Series 41 season is on hold. That was the recap of Series 40 PS5 2. Let's go! Segment 2. In this segment, we'll be doing, taking a look into the player's edition as usual. We have a special guest with us. Can you introduce us by giving your PSN name and team you play for? Uh, it's uh, Juice. Most people know me as Coach Juice around the community. My PSN is Juice Chamberlain, um, and I am the head coach for Greatness and Throwdown. Okay, great. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Good to get to talk to you, PJ. Okay, so what we normally do in these interviews, Juice, is so first we just go over a few TGA questions to see if you played in TGA, how far you've been in certain stuff like that. And then we get into the nitty gritty of Pro-Am because we want to hear your opinion, how you overlook Pro-Am, how you can maybe help certain teams build and so on. Got you. Okay. So first question is how, hold on for a second. Sorry about that. How many seasons have you played in TGA? 
Um, I've I have played in multiple. I don't know the exact number. Um, but in two K twenty, two K twenty one, I did play multiple seasons in TGA. Okay, and how did you enjoy participating in TGL leagues? Uh, I I enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, you know, I had a really good team at the time. Uh, truly different on PS4 at the time. Um, there were ups and downs within the league, uh, but it was overall a, a good experience. Okay, what's the furthest your team made it? Uh, the finals. Okay, so now let's get into the real pro am talks that everybody really wants to get into. So first question for you, Juices, how long and how did you get started in the pro-am scene um i really got it started uh watching the 2k league actually um so i was just a park player before that uh, i wasn't eligible for the league at the time but uh you know knowing dallas had the first overall pick uh, really excited me that being my hometown um then watching you know drafting that boy dimes just really intrigued me into the 5v5 uh and to you know go into it further and maybe join you know the league at some point in my life later on down the road Okay. So what are you doing now in the pro-am community? Um, currently, I am a head coach uh, and an analyst. Uh, so I will work with uh, different sets of teams, players uh, for LAN events, uh, you know, just every days in, days out. Uh, most formerly, I've worked with Liquid with uh, players like Seldom, Merc, Plo, Bag Motion, uh, or Glizzy. Um, I'm currently working with Throwdown, uh, one of the you know OGs of the community, one of the OG clans, um, and currently Greatness, which is uh, you know at the front of front of it, uh, Greens, who was projected number one overall pick in the draft this year, had to drop out due to unfortunate circumstances, and then everybody knows Goofy uh, is the owner of the brand. Um, so yeah, it's just basically you know a lot of uh, analyzation on opponents, um, analyzing their game, breaking down uh, film from them. Uh, you know, getting spreadsheets and analytics for them to be able to review going into games, heading into games, um, badge setups, uh, build setups, you know, what's the best build analytically uh, from a meta standpoint and from a game standpoint. Um, and then, you know, plays uh, that, you know, we have offensive and defensive sets that we'll run, whether it's, you know, three guards, uh, kings, you know, uh, red, just these different offensive and defensive sets that we'll run as well. So let me ask you a question. Which which point which part do you like more? Do you like the analytic part part or do you like playing more? Man, so the player in me, like I said, I, I still play regularly. Like I'll you know I'll sub in for them sometimes if they need a sub. Um, I play in many draft leagues, things like that. So I love being a player. Uh, but it it feel I'm not gonna lie, it feels so good knowing like you know you put all this hard work into a team and to watch them succeed. And, you know, to watch them go far and make it far. Uh, we made it to the uh, the final four of the $50,000 in Vegas last month. Uh, wishing we could have made it further. But, you know, just putting all that hard work in and seeing the results, it's really a blessing to see. I agree with you. I watched the UPA event last season, that last the last live event that you guys were in. You guys definitely had an outstanding performance for sure. So let me ask you this question as a coach now. Is it easy is it easy for the player? Do the players listen to you easy? Like, or is it hard to criticize them? How would you criticize them? Yes, I find that yes, and hard. I, I get what you're saying. And this is what most people say is it's a video game at the end of the day. How do I need to be coaching a video game? Um, and from a maybe a casual aspect, uh, that's, that, you know, that can seem 
like, you know, a viable uh, opinion to have. Why would I need to be coached in a game that's, you know, I just left, right. I've got my certain set of moves and then I'm open and I green. Uh, but, you know, like I said, when you break it down to more than that, and especially, you know, once you're in the higher level of competitiveness, um, like I said, where you're, you're facing, you know, two to three lead players every night uh, per team, um, there's just, there's just a different level that your game gets elevated to and taken to and to taking those um, extra steps to make sure you always have that edge uh, is always obviously going to show up on the, uh, on the, on the W side, uh, you know? So let me ask you now. So see how you're the coach, for example, right? And you're coaching a lot of high end talent. When they see you play, do they have a problem that they might think they're better than you? So they won't listen or do they still take you in? No. Yeah. They'll still take me in. Uh, I've, I've been able to rock with the big boys. My, you know, my entire, I'd say mostly my gaming career. Um, I was league eligible in 2k 20. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've played at the highest level of com competition. So it's, you know, it's not like they, they don't see me as, you know, just because I'm a coach, I'm bad. Uh, you know, they, they respect my game and then they respect my, uh, you know, what I say. And, um, they know what I say. Like, I know what I'm talking about when I say it. Um, and like, it's really good to have that respect uh, in a locker room. Um, other than that, whenever it comes to that high end talent, like I said, th these guys, they play, you know, eight to 10 hours a day when I'm coaching them, I'm in the parties with them. Uh, you know, we're running over plays, running over films. So it's not necessarily like I've got to teach them how to play the game, but I've just, uh, I've got to show them tendencies, right? So I got to show them tendencies of other players. Hey, this player can't quick stop off the hash, right? Uh, this player likes to rotate a certain way, uh, kind of like tendencies on the other team. And then I also break down their film to kind of show them an extra pair of eyes, what they could be doing wrong or what they could be doing better, right? Uh, in a constructive criticism base. So, you know, I'm not just sitting there bashing them the whole time. Oh, you can do this. You can do this. It's like, hey, you're doing really well in this area, uh, but we can tweak this area better. I hear that. I hear that. That makes a complete sense. So let me ask you from a GM and coach's aspect, how do you go about building a team? Because a lot of people out there can't keep their teams together. So how would you how, how would you teach these guys to go about building a team? What would you look for first, second, third? Or are you looking for the most skill or does the attitude matter? Are you willing to bear with the attitude? Like, How would you go about building your team? Um, I'm going to let you know now, 100% attitude matters. Uh, we've seen it so many times, uh, you know, within the amateur scene, program scene, and even in the big leagues, uh, you know, chemistry is off. Uh, players don't want to play anymore. Teams tank. Uh, it happens all the time. The first place you always want to start out with is you've got to have a guard that's hungry um, that can be able to score that ball. Uh, we'll take we'll take Spam, for instance, right? He'll, he'll average about 27 and 8 a game with, you know, maybe one to two turnovers. So he has a very high usage rate. Uh, but it transitions into not only low turnovers, but a good, you know, PER uh, overall. Um, so just kind of having that at the point guard position um, is really well. If you're not able to get someone that can score like that, um, find someone that's more of a, uh, I'd say, a combo guard. We we call them, you know, the second ball handler. Uh, not necessarily a hash, but they're not necessarily a point guard. They're kind of in between. Um, and if you have a player like that, you've got to complement him with a good shooting guard, someone that will be able to get you buckets. Uh, so you start with one of those two instances. Next, um, with the way this game has transitioned, 
it's almost power forward, right? Because now the power forward's playing pick and roll. They're doing corners. They've got to help the lock, right? Uh, if that, so I mean, we all see this. The lock gets fried. Whose whose fault is it most times, right? It's the yeah, power yeah, forward yeah. stepping up, not making the rotation, not making the play. They've got to know every defensive set, every defensive rotation, and they've also got to read the minds of the center and the lock, right? Is the center is the center gonna be able to run that triangle and rotate? Are you gonna get there whenever y'all are playing three guard? Is uh is that lock getting his outside? So then does that mean you need to step play the middle? Uh, you know, for a blitz, you know, you, you got to read these minds and know these defensive rotations all at the same time, as well as performing on the offensive end. Uh, so power forward has really risen um, to a level of, uh, you know, specialty when it comes to within, you know, the game and the community, um, especially on next gen with all these glitched six, nine builds that get crazy stats. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, you've, got, you've got the guards, you've got that power forward. Um, and then obviously you need a good lock. Uh, right, because that's that's going to be the one you can. So if you have a good power forward, you can get away with a decent lock. But if you've got a great lock, you can get away with almost any power forward, right? Um, so those two kind of go hand in hand for me. Uh, but if you've got a good lock, uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna be good. Uh, one that can get you stops. One that can um, communicate. Communication is the biggest thing within pro am. Um, I see so many times locks that'll just sit there, be quiet won't say anything, uh, you know, and they'll just, you know, if they get fried, you know, they'll be quiet. Uh, the communication is out there, and then that throws the whole team chemistry off. So having a good lock is definitely important. Um, and and then center, right? So center is going to be, you know, the one uh, – there's there's IQ that's onto it, and depending on how good your center is, uh, he can definitely move up that list uh, because I've seen so many times teams with good centers that will make it far just because of their center-point guard combo, right? So the centers, you know, got to have the IQ with the point guard. He has to work out regularly with that point guard to be in that point guard's head, uh, when to take the quick slip, when to fake the slips, when to set that screen a little longer, how that point guard likes to play, when he likes to take his mid-ranges, how does he like to come out and – does he like to score in the first half? Um, does he like to play a little passive, get his other team involved, and then he kind of kicks it into go mode, you know, come to that second quarter? Uh, so, you know, it's really a lot of a, of a mental game when it comes to playing that center aspect because at the end of the day, you're rotating, right? So you've got you've got to be in correlation with that power forward, you know, when to rotate. Now the centers are playing the corners to rotate, swing, and grab that board, um, and then to be that defensive anchor on the side as well. So, if you you know, if you've got the good power forward center duo uh, that, you know, can rotate with each other with ease, uh, there's no misconfusion, no, you know, no corner being left open because one of them rotated and didn't say anything uh that would that would really you know just kind of smooth the transition um as well so when you guys are holding practice for example right how many offensive sets do you guys have because one team came on and said they have 15 the next team came on and said they had 10 what's what's a number that you guys would use and how many plays do you actually use during the game Ooh. so if if they're talking about offensive sets like uh like we're like talking about like a, like a four one like 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 back ends and stuff like that. Uh, with within the two K community, there's only a certain amount that you can use, right? Because let's be honest, not every play in real life is going to transition into NBA two K. Because at the end of the day, two K is still a video game, right? But you've got to find the ones that do transition. Um, so I would say, yeah, anywhere from five to ten would be normal. Um, but it's the play sets within those sets that work well, right? Um, so if you think about it like this. Amateur Pro-Am, what we play today, the point guard has an average. Uh, these are statistics that I've done. Um, the, the point guard, on average, throughout a game, will have the ball in his hand at least 80% of the game uh, for your offensive possessions, right? So if an if an average Pro-Am game scores anywhere from 50 to 60 points, right? You know, sometimes we see 70 points, but that little sweet spot of most games you see is 50 to 60, right? Yeah. Um, if your point guard is handling at least 80% of that, uh, that's a high usage rate. Uh, as to where the league, the 2K league, it significantly drops. It literally drops by half 
um, in the 2K League, the point guard will have the ball in his hand 40, maybe 45% of the time um, on offensive sets and offensive plays. So Pro-Am is a very point guard dominant game, right? If your point guard's dominant, you're going to do good. Uh, so what are some ways to do that? Um, so there's two ways that you can take that those stats, right? So on the offensive side, right, uh, you want to alleviate your point guard as best as you can. Whether you're running the fast break, you've got plays for fast breaks, um, or if you've got plays in the half-court set, right? So if you can't alleviate them on that full-court set and those passes, you know, they're playing defense really well getting back. Um, if you think about it like this, if you run anywhere from one to three plays per quarter, so that's, you know, what, one play every one minute, two minutes, uh, which is about, you know, one play every two to three possessions, maybe four, give or take. Um, and if you, on average, run anywhere from 10 to 12 plays per game, and within those 10 plays, you can at least score 20 to 25 points, you're eliminating 30% of the burden on your point guard, which is really good because then that drops his usage rate down so much. It gets the workload off of him a little bit. Not only does it include the team offense and then the defense has to be thinking about the team as a whole, not just the point guard, uh, but at the end of the day, it does alleviate uh, the point guard feeling like he has to do everything in that burden that he carries. Now on the defensive side, what you want to do with that statistic is, hey, how can I make sure that this point guard carries as much as he can, right? Uh, so we're shrinking the court, right? Where, you know, we're running different defensive sets. We're making sure we get back so they can't get any free buckets, no, no free threes on the transition, you know, nothing free. We want them in that half court set at all times. And we want this point guard to force him to beat us, right? Um, now, let's say it's a dominantly scoring point guard. Uh, you know, there's point guards that you can't stop. Uh, but you've got to limit them. That's that's how I put it. Uh, we played a series in MPBA finals um, where the point guard went on Twitter. Uh, he's in the league now, um, but said, you know, uh, you're not going to stop me. And that's, you know, we didn't necessarily stop him. He ended up scoring 24 and 20 in the two games that we played. We beat him 2-0, though. Um, and, you know, he went to Twitter saying he didn't stop me. But the game plan wasn't to stop him. It was to just limit him, right? So we didn't let him go off for 30, 35. We let him have his 20 to 24 points. So we limited him there. But then we stopped his teammates from getting involved. Um, and that was able to win us the games. Um, so, like I said, if you can just keep keep that main burden on those point guards and keep them flustered uh, when it comes to that aspect, especially in the amateur pro I'm seeing, uh, you're going to do really well. I never really thought about it from that part, you know, because when you really look at it, some so see for like the lower pro am the lower amateur pro am teams, right? When they play a top team, you'll normally see their point guards with seven turnovers, eight turnovers. You know what I mean? They'll get higher yeah. turnovers when they play the better teams. Cause how do how do we get out of that? Because you notice all the lower teams basically play the with the point guard exactly what you're saying for 80% of the ball. So nobody it's else wants to play with him now. Exactly. Um, and that's that's the toughest part is we're in that rut of 2K where uh, there's so we're transitioning from, you know, this uh, from, you know, just a clan side of 2K uh, to more of like a professional side. Um, but it really will start once, you know, more coaches uh, become available to the amateur side uh, can break it down for some of these demon point guards uh, that those are my favorite types of point guards to coach. I've coached you know, mo mostly stage guards. And that was always their biggest problem is, you know, they're ball dominant and leads to scoring a lot. Um, I'll take Kel, for example, he was actually in TGA his first game in, he scored like 81 points in y'all's league uh, back in like 2k 21, I think um, for sure. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, ice kill. Um, so you know you got the stage guards that can do it that aspect and they can do it really well. But pro am is more than scoring. Um, so once you get someone that can like sit down and break down your game with you and show you not only your tendencies but then the players you're going against their tendencies as well, it feels like it opens up so much of the court. Um, the second thing is slowing the ball down. Uh, this is so many times that I see whenever I'm watching film, um, not only on my team but just teams I'm watching in general. Uh, is there will be a shot that's that's an okay shot, but there's still like 15 to 12 seconds left on the clock. And that is so much time in a competitive game, um, especially, you know, if you think about it, that's literally half the shot clock that we're wasting. Um, and when it comes to, you know, these close scoring games, every second counts. Uh, so just being slower with the ball, because if in the amateur pro team, 80% of the time, teams will rotate without you doing anything. Uh, anybody that listens to this, if you're a point guard, I just want you to do this next time. Whenever you're about to make a pass, just sit there, wait. Power forward will rotate in this amateur scene, and they will leave so much stuff open. If you're just a little more patient with that ball, uh, that'll have you going from you know seven assists to if you just wait, throw that pump fake, or just you know wait a couple seconds on that pass. Force them to overthink and overreact, and have them confused, not you uh, playing into their pace, right? Because that's that's what the defense wants to do at the end of the day. They want to speed you up, they want to get you out of rhythm, and they want you playing their pace so that they can mess you up even more. Hmm. That's crazy. That's interesting. So let me ask you, what are your pros and cons about running a team since you're a coach? Give us some of your pros and cons about running a team. Um, pros, uh, like I said, I, you know, it's it's really good at the end of the day, you know, being at this high of a competitive level and, you know, seeing the success and being able to succeed within this league. Um, cons is egos, right? So you get to this high level, um, these players that have been in the league, uh, you know, the, you know, this is all they do. Uh, and they get these egos where they're, you know, I'm, I'm better, you know, I'm holier than you kind of uh, ego. Uh, so just maintaining those, uh, it's definitely, it's not something that's easy. Uh, you know, it's 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 more of a relationship outside the game than inside the game. Right. It's knowing these guys on a personal level. Um, and I think that's really what keeps people sticking together as well is whenever you take it beyond 2K uh, as a coach. And it's like, hey, I'm here for you on and off the court. Uh, the first thing I always do with my teams is I give them my personal phone number. Hey, you ever need anything? Um, you know, it doesn't matter the time because I'm usually up with them till you know, two, three o'clock. We're going over film, stuff like that. So they know I'm up that late. So, you know, if you ever need anything, don't be afraid to call me. Um, it gives them, you know, that sense of like hey you know he's not only here just you know for my game but he's here for me as a person um and that's what gaming is at the end of the day uh is you know it's not what we come because this game will be here forever you know uh you know things come things you know come and go uh and so it's not like how good of a player it made me but how good of a person it made me and on the flip side of that it also transitioned into them listening better um you know not having as much of an ego when it comes to a team game uh being more receptive to players play calls stuff like that i'll take one time for example we we were in a draft league, uh, a 2K spot final, and the power forward wanted to uh, – he, he had a little bit of ego, but he was cool for the most part. I'm not going to say names, um, but so the the point guard wasn't scoring, but it was the corners. Uh, and so I was actually playing up top on my center, and he was like, hey, let me come run up top. I've got rim take. And I told him, I was like, rim take's not going to do anything, you know, at the three-point line. I need you to keep rotating and we'll get that corner. Um, and then he just went off in the party chat. Right. Uh, so 
like I said, once once those egos kick in and once they fully get to going, uh, it can be a little hard to control. And because he he got mad and you know his ego kicked in, we ended up losing when we were up by like I think three or four that game. Um, but you know he got mad, he, his ego got hurt because he he said something and we kind of told him like we can try that later. It's a good idea, but not a good idea for now. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And then it kind of kicked in. So that's definitely one of the hardest parts about you know running and managing a team. Uh, you know the the group chats that they'll make to to each other. You know the stuff that they'll talk to each other when they're beefing and then you've got to go in and handle it all waking up at two o'clock in the morning to uh some he said she said stuff and it'll be the tiniest stuff too at times um but it's really just you know player management so let me ask you what are some of what what do you think could improve the pro-am scene moving forward what what do you think could improve the pro-am scene uh what okay so first of all um what what I really think could improve it, uh, I don't remember know if you remember, but back in the day, Pro Am used to keep track of stats, uh, and I think that was a cool thing. Bring arenas back, obviously. I know everybody's been talking about that. Everybody wants their arenas back. I want my arenas back. It looks so nice. Um, stat tracks. I wish the Pro Am would actually work instead of you know you get in a game and your stats are all messed up. It doesn't truly display an effect. Um, that's just you know I'm a stat guy, so you know I kind of enjoy looking at those things, uh, and it makes my job a little easier if I can actually you know if it displays your stats as you play and I can see you know what you truly do. Um, another thing is more tournaments, um, tournament style games. Uh, you know, so the leagues are awesome. Um, but getting more tournaments, more uh, diversity out there uh, to these players and um, just more teams in general, uh, you know, just sticking together, staying together uh, and, you know, kind of kind of creating, you know, more of a um, open tournament style. I think that would really help the pro community. Okay. So what are some of your goals moving forward in the pro scene? Um, pro am scene uh, first is to obviously win any league wager that, um, you know, either of my teams are in, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, small wagers that we've already done. I've got two really good rosters that'll make, you know, really far in these, uh, you know, just these, uh, you know, leagues uh, go to lands and, you know, make the finals. That's, that's my biggest goal right now. Um, and then later on will be a head coaching position in the league. I received multiple offers this year. Um, none of them really panned out, uh, but that's my league goal later on down the line. Uh, but yeah, I've got, I've got two really solid teams. I've got, you know, the number one ranked point guard, I've got a league center. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, top three lockdown considered on the next gen. Uh, so, I've, you know, I've got and then on the other side, I've got a team that's that's really good. Throwdown has such a good team. They've got Dev over there. Uh, they've got a new up and coming center by the name of Rims. Uh, Chuck, who was, you know, a really good lockdown. So they've they've got a really good team over there, too. I've got I've, I've got together two really good teams. Um, so I think my biggest thing is, you know, I know what they can do, but I just want to see them do it. OK, last three questions. First, first question. Where, what, who do you think got snubbed? From the 2K League draft this year? Merck, 100%. Um, Merck, Idris, those, those two are my boys personally. Um, I've spent many nights with Merck, uh, you know, whether we were in parties, you know, playing the game. Um, we were up late night doing mock, mock drafts uh, to see him get snubbed. He still uses my account for all leagues and tourneys. Like, we are just boys, 100%. Um, so to see him not make it, uh, especially after last year, he was still considered a snub. Um, it really hurt because I saw the work that he put in, uh, the work that he put in, you know, before Vegas and even after Vegas uh, to, you know, get there. So he's definitely the biggest snub. And then Idris. Idris is the if uh, second most 
like the second best power forward in league history, right behind Nudini, and only you know Nudini has you know two league champions and everything like that. Um, but there's there's no he was the first to have a triple double in 2K League history. He won the first season, so he's already got a ring under his belt, uh, and he's got league experience. Um, so it was just kind of hard to see him snub too. Uh, but those are two of my most definite snubs. And who was your surprise pick if, if you had one? Surprise pick. Uh, if are we going like uh, for position or just surprise pick in general? Just surprise pick in general. Okay, awesome. Uh, it had to be fan at eight. Uh, like I said, I've been I, I don't I don't really share my mock drafts. Um, I had him going within the top fifteen, uh, but it just kind of surprised me that the you know Celtics or uh, 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 Raptors kind of jumped up a little bit ahead uh, to take him and make sure that they could hold him, which was a smart play. Uh, you know, you pair him next to Dimes, so you've got flexibility uh, in the three v three setting with Dimes uh, and Fanta at that, you know, point guard shooting guard position, whoever wants to play there, uh, most likely will be Fanta. Uh, Dimes can also play the center, you know, on 5v5 and 3v3 setting. Uh, so if type, you know, you've got a lot of flexibility over there. Uh, you know, they brought in a good lockdown in big Saint, uh, you know, did well with Timberwolves last season. So they, you know, they brought in a lot of flexibility. Um, that's why I really thought they were going to go a, you know, kind of a different direction. Uh, but I'm not saying it was a bad pick, but it was just a surprising one, you know, one that I didn't really expect. Um, another good pick was witness at eight. 18, uh, without a doubt, uh, probably the number one sharp in the draft falling all the way to 18 is, is pretty insane. Uh, Hawks got a real good still there, uh, especially with them. They had probably the best, one of the best drafts behind the, you know, Mavericks, a couple other teams uh, getting put back, you know, in you know, the later round, uh, one of another top power four that they were able to get to kind of solidify their defensive end. So, yeah. Okay. So last two questions, where do you see the pro-am scene in the next five years? Um, so where it's at right now, it's, you know, ever progressing. I know, uh, UPA just came out with an event, you know, it's going to be a hundred K event. They said somewhere up North, uh, they did a, uh, a space today on Twitter, uh, talking about how, uh, you know, they want to do lands, uh, minimum of 10 to 20 K on next gen every you know month. Um, and then the next one's being like 500,000 for the next lands and, you know, keep going up and up until it hits about a million. Uh, so I think lands are definitely going to be the future. I think with the way that just leagues are going in general, um, I know I just recently came on as the VGC commissioner, so I run the VGC league. Uh, you know, we just started our season back up. I think we've got like a $4,000 prize pool plus player earnings or, you know, players. And, we you know, we track stats and everything like that. Um, but within the next, you know, five years, that's going to be the normal, right, where, you know, everything is going to be a large pot. People will be doing this for a living, not just, you know, I play it and then I've got to go work and then I make this as, you know, side hustle. Uh, you know, in, in five to ten years, this won't be a side hustle anymore. This will be, you know, most people's main job is just playing pro-am, right, not even in the league, uh, but just pro-am with how many tournaments and how many winnings can be won. Um, and I really do hope it keeps progressing in the way that it has been. Okay, so I have because you said something that I have to ask you about. I have to I have to sneak this one question in. So see what the UP, UPA event, right? I watched every game this at the UPA event. Do you think it should be strictly amateurs, or the pro should be allowed to play in those events? Okay, um, I know this is this was a lot of people's. Uh, you know, like setback was, you know, oh, you know, the league, you know, these league players, they shouldn't be able to play into it. Um, but 
I think if you're going to play for 50K, it's going to be the top of the competition and you better be ready. Uh, everybody that's at that event has either two agendas, right? Or I guess you could say three. They're either there for a good time and they're just there with their boys to play. Uh, they're there, you know, to try to win some money or they're there because, you know, they're at the highest level of competition that it can get, right? Um, you know, the team that ended up winning it, you know, five league players on it. Uh, you know, the runners at least had two to three league players on it. Uh, you know, so... I don't see a problem with league players whenever it's a position or a, a land event that big, right? Because at the end of the day, you got to remember, we're talking about $50,000 that's on the line. Uh, and I just feel like it wouldn't be fair if the highest level of competition uh, for the for the prime or, you know, for UPA as, as well, uh, it wouldn't be fair to them to exclude, you know, that high level of competition. Because uh, one, not only does it bring in viewers, uh, but it just brings more of a competitive spirit. Uh, it also allows the community to meet some of these players, right? So like Jack Moscone was there, you know, that's that's the point guard for Wizards, two-time MVP, um, or two-time, uh, you know, league champion. Uh, head coaches are there. I'm talking, you know, Heat Famous, uh, Rico, Patrick. There's, you know, multiple GMs there. Uh, so it allows the amateur scene to be able to meet these guys that they see on Twitch or, you know, that they see on Twitter or that they get to hear about and listen about uh, whether it is players or, like I said, these GMs, you know, they get to sit there and actually talk to them face to face. You know, you get to meet, you know, like these the goofies of, of 2K, you know, the ones that we hear about and we see about. We know that have won in the league uh, and you get to meet them on a personal level. Uh, so I if as long as it's big land events like that and they keep growing, I don't see a problem with league players in it. Uh, but if we're talking smaller land events, you know, maybe, you know, 5, 10K, I could see maybe a restriction there. Um, maybe in a sense, you know, like I said, the game's ever growing. Maybe they do a minors and a majors league, right? Where the minors will be for non-league players or, you know, people that haven't made the majors yet, uh, but a smaller prize pool. And then the majors will be uh, anybody that's, you know, played in UPA events or that's, uh, you know, in the league or at the high level of competition will be eligible for the majors. But it'll also be a bigger prize pool. So that could definitely be an area that they move to like down the road. I agree with that. I agree with that. So the last question before we get out of here that we ask all our guests, what do you love most about Pro-Am? Give us a few things you love most about Pro-Am. Yeah, just, just basketball. I'm, I'm a big basketball fan. I don't know if you could tell that or not. Um, yeah, yeah. But... definitely. Once you're in the <laughs> analytics, you're definitely, you love the game for sure. Analytics is a tough thing to get into. Yeah, uh, but no, I've I've loved sports since I was a you know since I was little, um, you know four or five watching it, you know with the family, whether you know it was football, soccer, you know MLS, you know basketball, obviously, um, and then I really got into it in 2011 uh, when the Mavericks won the championship, obviously against Miami, uh, and so you know seeing my hometown win, I uh, you know it made it kind of you know more of a spirit for me. I've uh, been in love ever since. Like I said, I've, I've played 2K since then. Um, and then, you know, I got into 5v5 because I just, you know, I love the game. I love the fundamentals of basketball. Uh, and not only can I play it at a competitive level, but I can play it, you know, with my friends. I can play it with my teammates. Um, and, you know, we can just have a good old time, whether, you know, it's playing 5v5 competitively or we're just in the wreck grinding our builds or, you know, we're just in there just to have fun. Uh, that's the best part about it is you can play as competitive as you want. And then you can just sit back and have fun with the boys still playing the exact same game mode pretty much. So I hear you, Juice. I have to thank you for showing up. I have to give you a huge hit em up. This was a great interview. Very insightful. I hope some of the people really tune in and take this in, man, because they could learn a lot from this little interview right here. Some of the some of the nuggets that you gave out, they should really take it in because some of these pro-am teams need 
need that extra to get over the hump, if you know what I mean. Like they're there, but they're they're not there yet because they're not willing to do the extra work. I was I was there at one point, so I definitely understand that. If anyone has any questions, comments, concerns, uh, my Twitter is at Coach Juice underscore underscore. Uh, you can DM me there. Um, you know, send any questions. I'm not I'm not you know. A, a guy to turn away question so we definitely have to get a part two going though we definitely because i want to have i want to have a discussion with a few owners on it if you if you want to get in on that uh yeah just uh whenever you you know contact me we'll set up a time uh you know get the schedules aligned and we can go at it okay juice thanks a lot for joining me tonight eh? you have a good night all right thank you you as well okay juice Segment three, TGA Talks. There's no Pro-Am Talks this week, as I said in earlier session. I'm allowing people this week, just TGA Talks to end off the show. Draft League starting combine March 10th to 12, 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. East. Those will be the combine games. Sign up now because the combine starts March 10th. Also, I'll be finishing... The final 10 teams of the NBA 2K Top 40 teams of all time in TGL Leagues. Look out for that. We already have 30. If you're taking the episodes, you would have seen the 30 teams I named already. I'm going to name the last 10, and then the owner will post the picture with all 40 teams. Let's go, man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Hit em Spread the word, man. Tell people to tune in. This is 2K Talk. Juice jumped on, save, reap, trade, RTN members. Let's go, man. Like, let's get it. Promote it to your people, man. Tune in, man. Thanks for enjoying this episode, man. Let's get it.